whether it's fair or not, I don't think you're going to succeed in this industry unless you make it your lifestyle. You have to be 24-7 about it. You have to be willing to invest in yourself. You have to really be willing to risk it all to get it all. Social on the sidelines, episode 13. Am I right, tomorrow? I think so. Episode 13, maybe, presented by Front Office Sports and brought to you by our friends over at Team Infographics, who do what exactly, my friend? Well, they create fire graphic and digital content needs, and you can use them for anything you want to create some fire internet content. And they are our friends. Yes, you can find them on Twitter at Team Infographs or online at teaminfographics.com. All right, this episode, Rob Perez, also known as Worldwide Wob on Twitter, one of my favorites in the NBA Twitter universe. Um, we had him on today and had him talk about his journey from, in, the, which is really unique because yeah. literally his journey is creating this NBA Twitter persona that has gone on to work for ESPN, have a show with Cassidy Hubberth over at ESPN and do a bunch of pretty cool things. But how he started out is unique and how he continued to fight through to get to that point is also unique. So good conversation with Rob. Yeah, really good conversation. Um, he had some really good advice and I think he's a really good example of somebody that you know, goes above and beyond. I feel like this man watches literally every single NBA game on, which I don't even know how it's possible. And he still creates amazing captions and gets all the video. It's pretty impressive. It is indeed. Uh, real quick, before we get into the conversation, because we don't want to hold you guys too long before we get into it, uh, the next time we have one of these, the NBA preseason slash media day will have been underway and happened i am shook right now i don't know what to say i know i was i was looking at my calendar we just got back from this uh it's called rip city rally so we toured oregon and brought some trailblazers love to different places in oregon and i was looking at my calendar and training camp starts in nine days which shook me to my core and your girl's going to be in Vancouver, which I'm super excited about. Vancouver. What? I didn't even know yeah, that. Yeah, we're playing the raps. So it'll be fun. Got any, uh, got any media day things that you're planning that you can share with the fine folks over at Social on the Sidelines? Yeah, um, I think it'll be really fun. We have some more conversations um, this coming week, but I'm going to have a social station, and we're still kind of brainstorming some stuff things but i'm excited my first media day with the blazers Ah! media day for those who don't know is the kickoff and a really fun time for all of us who work for teams but it's also extremely stressful because you have like 10 minutes with every player and you have to get everything that you need for the most the majority of the season when it comes to like graphics and photos and things in this 10 minute time span, which is usually more like seven minutes. So uh, yeah. it is a lot of collaboration and coordination and planning. So I'm kind of, you know, I, I have some anxiety about it, but we'll be all right. We gonna be, be all right. right. That was my song. On that note, <laughs> um, let's, uh, 
now that you did that, let's just go into the conversation <laughs> with Rob. Social on the sidelines, it's Shabazz Khan and Amara Baptist, joined by everyone's favorite NBA Twitter personality, Rob Perez, otherwise known as Worldwide Wild. What's good, Rob? Thank you for coming on. I don't know if that's essentially true. I, I, I'd say... It is. I don't know. Favorite. I, I, got a, I got a line around the block of people waiting for me to just tweet something out of line so they can like come at me with the pitchforks and the, and the, the torches and stuff like that. But I do certainly appreciate it. <laughs> that may be, but you got another line of people, including me and Amara, that are ready for every one of your tweets because they're fire. I'm not going <laughs> to lie. A lot of the inspiration that I have gotten over the years on NBA Twitter have come from this man himself who apparently tweets off an iPhone like four. Oh, yeah. Can we talk five. about that? What? Oh, Cassidy told you about that? She did. Yes. Shout out Cassidy. Oh my God. I'm going to I'm gonna have to have a word with her about that. Um, <laughs> it, first of all, it's not an iPhone four. It's like an iPhone 6S, which I guess nowadays that they have like iPhone triple X's is technically like, like an iPhone four. But um, I have it right here. It works great. I don't know what's wrong with it. Maybe it's more impressive that I just refuse to like download the new iOS because I know it's all a huge scam to just get you to buy the new phone. So I keep my old versions and nothing changes and it works. Well, we can just throw our Apple sponsorship out the door now. Thanks, Rob. <laughs> yeah, we were Sorry. really working hard on that one. <laughs> no, but... Uh, uh, yeah, sorry. What was the question? <laughs> it's all good. Not one yet, but I guess... I, I've seen your growth over the years on Twitter and, and how you've pretty much come, become synonymous with NBA Twitter. Like if, if people aren't on NBA Twitter, they still probably know you. And if they do follow NBA Twitter, they most definitely know you. So talk about how this all got started, um, what you were doing before and kind of what's going on now. Yeah, so I, I mean, this this whole career just kind of happened not by accident, but just organically and slowly by itself. Uh, the backstory on me was I went to uh, the University of North Carolina, got a degree in journalism like everybody else, and I didn't even use it coming out of college. You know, I was working for a team just like the two of you, um, but I was on the season ticket sales side uh, back in when I graduated. You know, I'm very old man yells at cloud right here, but back in my day. Uh, in 2009 was when I came out of college, there was not a job to be had. It was like the biggest part of the recession. So the only jobs that were really hiring for me uh, were, were sales jobs. There's, there's always um, an opening in sales because if you could sell, you bring in money and you're worth something. So I, I knew I wanted to work in the NBA, just being a passionate fan and all. So I took a very entry level, here's a phone book, you know, uh, start calling some numbers type of job. Uh, did well at it. You know, I really enjoyed going to the games every night, being behind the scenes and the locker rooms and, you know, that type of access was really cool just being a 21 year old and um, did well with that, you know, moved up, moved up the corporate ladder, quickly realized how, uh, how much money brokers were making on the other side. So I moved to the broker side for a couple of years after that, ended up uh, starting my own brokerage slash ticketing website. And by this point, it's 2012, 2013. That was the glory days of Groupon. Like everything was Groupon. And you didn't go anywhere without a Groupon. I don't know if that's still the case, but in 2012, it definitely was. So my business partner and myself, we started the Groupon for sports tickets, um, ended up selling that to a bigger company. And the reason why I'm telling this story is because once I got to the bigger company, 
I was no longer living that uh, uh, chef boyardee entrepreneur shaking the couch to pay rent type of lifestyle. You know, I was back on the nine to five, had the ability to uh, live a life again. And I was watching the NBA as always, but um, this kind of gave me an opportunity to, you know, get, get back to the what I'm passionate about, which was talking about the league. So by now it's 2013, you know, I have a very like small base on Twitter just from, you know, getting some jokes off about the NBA. Um, I committed to just kind of doing it full time because I was back um, I was back at a normal hour. I got to watch the games and I felt like writing something uh, in for, I'd say for about a year straight, I just wrote on a blog and it's really funny because I have probably close to a million words that no one's ever seen uh, just because I felt like venting about the NBA and posting it and nobody saw it. But the reason why I was doing it was because, you know, what, maybe if someone will see this one day and give me a check to start writing for them, is that even like possible? So that day did come. Um, and I started freelancing and getting a very small paycheck to just kind of write about the league once a week, you know, once or twice a week. And from there, it kind of just happened. You know, I was committed to it full time at that point. I had just enough money that I could support myself and I was watching the games and then I kind of evolved with the technology. So by this point now we're at 2014 and there's an app called Vine and there's an app called Periscope. And I was just using the tools that were given to me, like you know, this, this platform called Vine, maybe I'll take some bootleg footage of games and illustrate what I'm, all these jokes that I'm cracking off on, on Twitter. Um, it allowed me to bring in an audience that maybe didn't know what I was talking about with some random Grizzlies magic game on a Tuesday night. Now I could show them. So that was step one. And then step two with this, this app called, first it was Meerkat and then it was Periscope because Periscope was bought by Twitter. I'm like, I, this allows me to go live to the world. We, we take that for granted now in 2018, but back then that was a huge deal. That was, there was no going, you could take like a video and put it on YouTube. You couldn't broadcast yourself live to the world. So I kind of just put my phone down and uh, it was 3 a.m. one night and came back from the bar, probably struck out or something. And <laughs> I was just making pizza rolls and I was like depressed pizza rolls. I was in my feelings like Drake. So I, what we say on our show buckets is we've gone from pizza rolls to prime time. And, uh, I was just making pizza rolls and there was like 50 people that were watching this and like talking to me. I'm like, wow, this is pretty cool. Maybe if I did this at a normal hour and talked about something of substance, uh, people would be interested. Let's talk about basketball next time or video games or something. And 50 became 500, which became 5,000, which became 50,000. And Lord knows where, where it's at right now. But, uh, that was just the, the, the story of it. There was no, uh, Ken Bone, if you remember that dude from the, yes. from the, remember that dude from the debates? Like he, oh, he hockey sticked overnight. Like he was viral sensation. I'm thinking of the Walmart yodeling kid. Mm -hmm. I never really had that moment. It was just a slow drip of basketball content, uh, that got me to this point. And maybe that's why everyone is still kind of hanging around is because they feel like they're part of the story at some point. And, um, I, I, I think that's my story. That's awesome. Yeah, that's incredible. Well, that was a lot of words. No, we've <laughs> seen you. I mean, I've been following you for, gosh, years now. And just seeing you, like you said, evolve over time. Um, I don't know if I have a question. My brain just, it's really early, you guys. I am still, I'm not at my coffee. Um, okay, so how have you seen Twitter in particular change over time? Like, obviously, you got in NBA Twitter 
when it started, I would say. How have you just seen when? NBA Twitter blow up? Oh, man. Oh, so specifically NBA Twitter? I would say Twitter just in general, uh, the technology thing again, because I can remember as far back as when you couldn't even upload a picture to this website. It was just type 140 characters into a box, and that was it. So you you relied on very quick, witty type of stuff to have any sort of presence on this website. But once they started adding the multimedia part of it, maybe that's what was the birth of NBA Twitter is we could start gifting and finding and uh, producing, putting podcasts out there with videos and such. Um, but the birth of the actual like hashtag NBA Twitter, I, I don't know when that started. I'm, get, I'm getting a feeling like it started with the 3-1 jokes or the crying Jordan back in like 2015. That yeah. seems like a really long time ago to me. It does not feel like yesterday. I feel like crying Jordan was a long time ago. Um, maybe that was the birth of it because Jordan was all over the internet. You were putting him on, uh, the president's face. You, like no one was safe from Jordan and people were intersecting because he played in the NBA and has such a big basketball presence. They were, they were molding just pop culture trending topics with the NBA. Uh, I can't think of anything before that that was. Like this was the moment NBA Twitter was born because the year before that was Ray Allen's shot against the Spurs. There was no like viral Twitter moment back then. I mean, we were talking about it. We were going nuts, but there was no uh, mashing up of those videos and putting faces on movies and it would go like super viral on the score or Bleacher Report or something. Um, I remember crying Jordan really is the first monumental uh, NBA Twitter is a thing where we're going to take this face and we're going to be creative with it for the next two years. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah, no. Also, crying Villanova girl. Do you remember her? It's not really NBA, mm. but she was. Flip girl. Flip girl. Yeah, flip right? girl. Yep. Yeah. There was also the kid, too. That was more recent, though. The the crying kid that said, oh, my gosh. At the mm. NCAA yeah, this, tournament. this is definitely way past 2015. Like th- this yeah. is this is 2016, 2017 we're talking about. And in Twitter years, they age like dog years. So that's really like eight years. That's a good point. Yeah, for sure. So you have the NBA side of it, but then you also have the police chase live side and all other commentary. With that being said, what made you jump into some of these other things where it was more so just showing off your personality? rather than the com I guess there it's still commentary. I mean, I enjoy the police car chase watches. But like what made you right. venture into all these different things not knowing well, that there was an audience first, for it, I guess. <laughs> first of all, you said before that some of the stuff I do is inspiring you guys. I do not want to see police chases on at Trailblazers or at Timberwolves. That will be the day. You're good. You're uh, good. Uh, so yeah, the police chase thing, it, it's a little touchy just because, um, it, even as I'm watching them now, thankfully I have enough experience that I know when like one's going to go bad or something yeah. and I, I like won't tweet it. Uh, what's going on is something that's very dangerous and there's a lot of innocent lives at stake. So I'm not trying to make a joke of it. I'm simply watching the news like everyone else is like, I'm not hacking into some illegal feed and like blowing something up that no one should see. If America knows this from living in Los Angeles, when there's a police chase, they will cut out of every single TV, local TV station to show you the chase. Yeah. Like the Super Bowl could it's be insane. On and they'll put a police chase on. It's crazy. It's part of the culture out there. So uh, living in LA, 
uh, when we were working at, I think the timing lines up that we were working at Fox together, Amer, um, that I just, I saw so many of those police chases and I'm like, you know what, we're going to watch one of these together. Maybe it was 2014, 2015 or something, but, um, you know, people seem to enjoy watching them, you know, for whatever reason, but, uh, it's the big picture of it all was my strategy towards social media and content has, I, I tell everyone this, that asks that be really good at something, one thing, real, one really specific thing first. And for me, uh, when I was just getting going, I was talking about like NBA gambling and stuff like future bets, like who to bet on for the MVP. I wanted to be known as that guy first. And then I'm going to move into a different space. Then I moved into play-by-play -play commentary. Then I moved into whatever the hell it is I'm talking about now. But I, I continue to go like base to base here and just say, I want to be the best at this before I add to my arsenal of whatever my content battle station is. I know that sounds corny and cheesy, but it's true. So police chasing just became the next uh, thing that I wanted to own on the internet. Um, because I, I, I want to comment, I'm watching this like terrible college football game right now. And I watch a lot of boxing and, you know, I could sit here and tweet about it all night, but I don't because I'm very, um, of the belief that, you know, I, I want to be known for what I'm great at because first of all, no one likes to know it all. And second of all, um, I think that's just, I don't want to cast this wide net of being a general generalist. I'd rather be known for specific things. So. That, again, that's that's a lot of words there. Long story short, um, be really great at just one thing before you move on to that second part. Huh. Yeah. That's interesting. Great advice. Um, Thank you. <laughs> so when you, like you mentioned Fox Sports, um, when you go into a job, like obviously you have a lot of writing experience, but is there ever like a struggle with, I'm saying this because this is how I was too, like with social media. All I really did for social media was like my own social media. I didn't have like experience like running a brand. So when you go into jobs, like how do you, how did you, when you were first starting out, get people to kind of take you seriously, if that makes sense? And I don't mean that in an mm -hmm. offensive way. <laughs> no, no, it's not offensive coming from you, America. Um, oh, thank you. So... <laughs> Yeah, so that's that's a good question, and um, I don't I don't know if I've ever really been asked that before, but the answer is uh, simple for me. So I've always seen uh, the Twitter account Worldwide Wob as its own personal brand. I've never wanted to technically uh, be attached to a network, meaning uh, I work there and I'm known for working there. I want to be known for being Rob Perez. So I've always built Worldwide Wob on being this individual that can take his content and what he does anywhere. And that's the reason why I've survived uh, three. I've been laid off three times at this point because it's the industry. Like, content is the first to go because it doesn't make any money most of the time. So because of the fact that I can kind of just pick up and you know what you're getting with me, I think is the reason why I continue to have this nine lives of um, content uh, job opportunities it's certainly not because I'm a better writer than, than anyone else or what I do is better. But um, it, what I think I do great is uh, I, I've I'm just, you, you go to Twitter, you associate that Adam Silver in a black Sith Snuggie, you know, with a certain person, you know what you're getting and you know, you know, the engagement that you'll get and, and stuff like that. So uh, hopefully that answers the question. But um, 
Yeah. Yeah, no, that that definitely does. Building off that, uh, it seems like, you know, you're, you're talking about the layovers, you're talking about kind of the evolution over time and, you know, just getting by when you were starting out with. Obviously, a lot of this entailed a lot of risk taking. What kind of pushed you through to continue with it when, you know, the fruits might have not paid off immediately and it was more of a long burn? You know, for uh, more specifically for kids or people that are trying to, I guess, emulate something that you've done. What advice would you give and why did you continue to go on despite, you know, some of the struggles early? Yeah, so this is a, I'd say this is a contentious topic in our industry that, you know, uh, whether you're an intern, there's been some some networks that have uh, built their brand off of, you know, uh, credit only type of employment. Uh, for me, my story uh, my, in my recommendation is you're not, whether it's fair or not. I don't think you're going to succeed in this industry unless you make it your lifestyle. You have to be 24 seven about it because there's going to be people like myself that don't leave the apartment for five days, just watching basketball. Like that's just the truth of it. Um, if you have a family and you have kids, that makes it really hard. It makes it really hard because you have bills to pay. And when I was getting going, I was working at an Outback Steakhouse at the age of 25, trying to pay my bills to watch NBA and start a ticketing website. Like I had a college degree from a, from a decent university and I was working at Outback and I was caddying in the mornings uh, just to live a life and try and live this lifestyle. But I didn't have much of a social life, that's for sure, uh, because every minute that I wasn't working, uh, one of those two jobs, I was either watching games, writing content or working on the website. And um, I don't know if that's the right way to do it or the wrong way to do it. Um, and some people don't have the uh, support system in place that they can afford to do that because of their situation. Um, I have huge empathy towards that because there's a lot of a lot of great voices out there that probably aren't being heard because of what it takes. You have to be willing to invest in yourself. You have to be willing to not take a paycheck and commit to getting your voice and your content out there as much as possible. And for a long time, there's not going to be a cash influx. That's just the way the industry is right now. Maybe that will change down the road, but you have to really be willing to risk it all to get it all. That's good advice. Yeah, that's, that's great. Um, you know, and that applies towards anything. There's a reason why 99% of the startups in this country fail. And whether you take in venture capital from a firm, it, it lets you be comfortable. I think the, one of the only reasons why our business succeeded, not even the content part of it, was because I put my whole savings into it. Like I was living off of the company and I knew if this thing did not succeed, then I was going to not only be out of a job, I was going to be out of an apartment because I didn't, I'd have to move back home or something. Uh, and it was that fear and that drive that got me out of bed. I didn't need any coffee. Like, I, I never needed caffeine. I had the motivation to get up and either work on that website or work on content because I knew uh, I knew that was the only way I was ever going to get there. Um, yeah, so that's my. I'll stop preaching now. No, I mean that's it's crazy how different I think people's stories are throughout the sports industry, but kind of at the same time they're the same. Like I, I know I'm speaking for myself here, um, but I know Amara as well. The the evolution to get to the positions within sports or content. It's such a long process and it's not an overnight thing. I, I think we, we talk about this in pretty much every single episode here, but the the question is, how do I get into sports? And it's 
less so about like you said there's not a one size fits all answer to that it's you fail and you fail and you keep pushing until you don't fail and what you do while you're failing to continue to learn and push to get to that point it takes a lot of sacrifice it takes a lot of risks as you were talking about and it just obviously it takes a ton of desire to grow and learn alongside the industry because the craziest thing about content and i think it, it shows in some of the different things that you've been doing is it's constantly changing right if you're doing the same thing now that you were trying to do in 2015 when you were trying to get in quite frankly you're not going to and so right. what you do to differentiate yourself and like you said pick one thing that allows you to stick out because at the end of the day you know jobs and sports and content they they seem i guess very um attractive to the outside world because you know all of these different things that maybe outsiders might be able to do but really to allow you to get there you have to hone in on the one thing that you were talking about and then grow from there so right. you know, I, you, I, you want to put yourself in a position too it, it's it could be super frustrating and this i think this is part of the group of people with torches and pitchforks that are waiting for me to fail is you know you've spent all these years uh creating content and you haven't like gotten called up to the to the big leagues yet you know you're like i know this is good and it's frustrating as hell. Um, and I'd say that's the majority of content uh, producers out there are really good and they're just unseen. Mm -hmm. And my recommendation and advice to those guys is you have to be willing to put yourself in a position that when that call does come, that you are ready. And the way you do that is you have, uh, it's the same thing that happened to me. I, my first viral piece or viral article was uh, when I called out Darren Rovell, like in 2014 for some stupid, am I allowed to curse? Stupid yes, shit that he said. Um, uh, it, we're, we're like best friends now. We've gotten over it. But at the time, like I was tired of this and I, you have 24 hours to apologize or I'm going to blow your world up. And then I put out how he was entirely wrong about like calculating this. He's super, being super nerdy about like numbers and stuff. And I go, you are wrong in every facet of this tweet in this article. And it just, it went viral. So everyone's like, okay, this was actually pretty funny. What else do you do? And I'm like, oh, as a matter of fact, I have a million words for you to choose from. Why don't you sit back and I'll send some to you. So I, I, if I, I put myself in the position to succeed by that viral article, like it, it, I feel like every content producer at some point will go viral for something, whether it's a meme, a video, an article, whatever. And then when that time comes, you may get a call from an editor or a producer asking like, who are you? And can you provide any sort of, um, track record of being able to produce this so that we could pay you for it. And if you're not ready at that time, that may be the one that may be the biggest mistake of your career. Cause sometimes you really only get one shot at it. And then when you get that shot, you better take advantage of it more than anyone has in the past because it can go away and then you never get the call again. So treating that as if, um, treating as if there's, that's your last call of your career, um, is, is, I think what's gotten me to this point. Yeah, you're firing off fire advice out here. You got the fire tweets and the fire advice. I <laughs> got me motivated on a Saturday morning. <laughs> uh, so a quick follow-up based off that. I think now you're at a point, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm making a huge assumption here, but now you're at a point where I would assume when it comes to these different content producers and different opportunities, um, they're asking you to kind of create based off your brand. But how do you ensure that when you're ac accepting a position or, or looking into a position that they're not trying to, I guess, 
turn your brand into theirs, right? So you're you're kind of on a slippery slope, I would say, just because they're trying to hire you for what you've been able to do on your personal account. And sometimes, at least in my experience, sometimes people try to capitalize off that and, and take what you've done personally and turn into something that they own. So right. how do you kind of navigate that? For me, uh, having those conversations before you sign on the dotted line has proven to be successful thus far. So I'm very, very, I think everyone that's ever hired me will, is just nodding their head listening to this. I'm crazy stubborn about uh, creative freedom and creative control over the stuff that I want to do there. Um, and the reason why I'm able to do that, again, to your point is I think I've reached this point in the career that I have the leverage to do so, but I've proven that it works. And if you're going to hire me, you have to let me do my thing because I can, I can not only drive an audience and engagement, but you have to trust me that what I'm going to do for you is going to work. And if you're okay with that, then let's continue signing this contract. And I've had people that are like, no, no, no you have to be this. You have to produce this for us and this. I'm like, well, then this is not going to work. And we're not married yet. I didn't put a ring on the finger. So, um, you know, if, if time, if things change, then, you know, we can come back and have this conversation later, but, uh, sticking to, uh, my brand, what's gotten me here, uh, what I do best is at this point, um, is what I'm selling to every employer that I've ever had. Um, and I, again, I don't think you can do that if you're just coming up, you know, you have to bite the bullet and be willing to say yes to a lot of projects that editors want you to do. And, and it's not like I turn down things because I don't want to do them, but, uh, you know, in a, a long-term marriage type of deal, uh, we're both going to be a lot happier if you kind of let me off the leash, um, and not micromanage me because I will produce, I'll put up the numbers for you. Um, you kind of have to just know that I'm going to do it in the ways that you called me in the first place. We wouldn't be sitting here unless you knew who I was and what I do. Um, so I'm, I'm very, very stuck. I produce all the segments on my own show. I write them myself. You know, these are things that uh, on-air talent don't usually do, but I'm that like crazy about what it is I want to say on camera. And there's only so many people out there that I trust uh, to take my voice and translate it for me. Um, that's, that's why I'm up 24 hours a day because I'm assuming the roles of multiple, uh, multiple jobs that are usually handled by different people. I uh, just want to take a quick moment from this episode to let you guys know that today's episode is supported by the University of Miami's online graduate sport administration program. It's a top-ranked graduate program with a highly respected reputation among employers, and the program is designed with your schedule in mind and offers the flexibility needed for professionals looking to break into or advance in the sports industry. Yes, be sure to check out the program at miami.edu backslash online. So speaking of like the content that you produce, obviously, you know, Cassidy is one of my great friends and you have a show with her called Bucket. So can you just talk a little bit about that and how you guys got started and just the overall concept? Yeah, so uh, Buckets was a ESPN cycle production um, in the... Cassidy came into my life in the first season of Buckets when I was doing it as a solo show. She she came on as a guest um, and we kind of just kept in touch and uh, we knew each other from Twitter and stuff like that. But not until uh, ESPN signed on to be partners with um, Cycle Network 
was the opportunity in place for me to go out there and get Cassidy potentially as a co-host because there was obviously a network marriage uh, that was happening. So when the business side of it went through uh, convincing uh, like Connor Shell and John Skipper and those guys um, at ESPN to lend us Cassidy to be a part of the show was a process in itself. She wanted to do it. Um, but it's crazy how much, how many politics and that go into anything involved with a, a network on that's of that size. So uh, the good news is we eventually got her and, uh, it was probably the best decision that I've made in my career throughout. I can't name anything better at this point because she has become the big sister to me on and off the court, on and off the mic, on and off the set, um, that I never had, you know, I'm an only child. So I, I talk to her pretty much every day. Uh, can talk to her things, you know, personally, business, professionally, and um, that's the type of relationship we have. And that translates to on camera. So I think the part of the reason why we, we had that type of success while the show was still running and we were able to pull in these millions of views wasn't just because we were coming up with these crazy, like basketball segments that weren't done before. You know, that was, that was just part of the show, but the chemistry that the two of us had, you not only felt like you were sitting in a living room with us, but the, it was just a conversation like this that we would always be having that seemed authentic and transparent, which is really, really hard to find, uh, not only on linear TV, but just in content in general. You can see right through it sometimes when it doesn't work. You know right away. It's not that they're doing anything wrong. You just get that feeling like you're not the one. Then why are we, why are we dating if you're not the one? Um, you know, she was the one for me in terms of uh, being the co-host from the moment I met her, the moment I talked to her. And I think that's uh, and just the ability to have that relationship with a co-host. I'm thinking of like uh, Michael Smith and Jamel Hill when they were doing his and hers and stuff. You know, there's just, there's duos that you know it works. Um, and uh, that's ultimately, I think, why the show is made it to where, to where it was, was simply just because of our relationship. That's awesome. Shout Makes out sense. Cassidy. Shout out Cassidy. Yes. Shout out Cassidy for spilling my phone secrets to the world. <laughs> what else did she spill? Uh, that was what, about what other tea do I have to clean up I think up that was here? the juiciest thing. Okay. Well, she, she knows where all the skeletons are buried. So <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised. So speaking of buckets, and I know you have some exciting news when it comes to that soon. Am I correct? In, in terms of it coming back on Action Network or just kind of, Talk about what's next for you in terms of your yeah. next job. And, right. Uh, yeah, go ahead. So, we're, I mean, we're hoping to get the show back, uh, I'd say by, by Christmas, I think is when we started last year. Um, I would certainly love to have Cassidy back. I know she wants to come back. Um, but now that I'm at the Action Network, it's still good news. Like we could, I think we can find ways to work together with ESPN, but just going back to the whole there's so many hoops you have to jump through uh, when you're working with another network. So uh, we would need some way to partner with ESPN to, to get Cassidy because, you know, they're not going to let her just go to another, you know, do content on another network that's not ESPN affiliated. That's kind of the way it works. So um, I'm, I'm hoping to not only get the show back soon, uh, but her as well. And once we get all those details ironed out, then we'll go from there. But that is certainly the goal. She is as much of a part of Buckets at this point as I am. Uh, she'll say otherwise, but I try and tell her that every day. And um, that is without a doubt the goal. And uh, we'll see if it plays out as such. Cool. 
Um, so we get a lot of comments uh, from people listening to this podcast that are trying to get into sports or maybe at the very beginning of their careers. Uh, what advice do you have for uh, folks just uh, in general trying to get into this industry? Be different. And I don't mean be different by like from a political standpoint, I'm, I'm saying be different, pick something that hasn't been done before on the internet. Uh, for me, it was doing the periscopes, uh, showing the world, the NBA through vine with my own personal takes on it in my own captions. Um, that's obviously something that was in the past, but I'm going to go back to evolving with the technology, find a way to either produce or distribute your content uh, in a way that hasn't been done yet. And if I knew the answer to that question, I would be doing it myself and not sharing it with you. So um, it's it's out there because people every day come up with like, whoa, like, what is this? And like, I need to check this out, whether it's a different form of content or the way that they're just like sharing it with you. Um, I've always found uh, people that are unique in their own way. Again, whether it's the, the actual, what they're, presenting to you or just or just whether it's through a different medium that you never heard of before those are always the people that rise to the top and in addition to that make yourself a personality um, make yourself your own brand and you'll be able to go you you open yourself up to more job opportunities you can be the o positive blood is that the universal donor i hope it is because that was an analogy very scientific <laughs> analogy whatever the universal donor of blood is uh, you will be able to be that if you are your own brand and your own personality, you know, if you um, go back to attaching yourself to a network, you know, there's, you can be, you can still be a great employee, but how do I make myself a network versus just working for one? And uh, you can rattle off 10 to 15 names of the most successful people on this website. And you would agree that that yes, they are their own brand. They represent this. They do this and they're known for this. You need to be able to check all of those boxes until you can consider yourself a brand. What are you known for? How are you known to get it out to the world? Because that's all important. And those are the people that survive the crazy turnover that, that happens um, in this industry. Appreciate you hopping on, Rob. Thank you for all the advice. Very passionate, very on brand uh and we're looking <laughs> forward to what was it was it on brand though because i, I you, you met I, again you mentioned before a lot of the stuff i tweet like inspires whether it's i was inspired so it was on brand i so. am so inspired What's... i'm gonna go run a mile right now <laughs> no I'm you're not, not. You're i'm really right i'm really not yeah i'm not <laughs> <laughs> i know you better than that uh, <laughs> Yeah. So I, no, I was just curious, like what with you guys, what, did, what is it that I do that um, even made you like call me to have this podcast? Is there something specific that like, what made you start following me? Was it, I'm known to be just the, the NBA highlight machine. So when I see a lot of haters, like the, all this guy does is just, you know, tweet highlights with like corny ca captions, which is true. But, and then you get someone else that's like, all he's known for is just like having a periscope. All he's known for is just doing police chases. I'm like, by the time I get through this list of haters, I've seen 14 things that I'm known for. It's just, they know me for like that one specific thing. So I'm always curious how like you ran into World Wide Web on the internet. Um, I'm not, I, go, you want to start first tomorrow? Go ahead. Do I start? Okay. So I 
came across your Twitter profile back, I want to say in like 2013 or 2014, um, just because I was trying to get into the industry. I was actually applying coincidentally enough to work for the Wolves. I didn't get it um, the first time, the first couple of times I was applying, but my friends knew I was trying to get into it and we were relatively new on Twitter. I mean, I had mine since like 2010, but the only things we used to tweet about were Call of Duty and the NBA. And we would just comment to each other, like in text threads or different things based on some of the stuff that you had. And then I met you, I want to say during the draft in New York. Um, and that, oh, right. You know, yeah. You were at the Kings then, right? Yeah. I was at the Kings then. And I started paying a little bit closer attention, um, to the stuff that you were doing besides just, you know, every now and then having friends send something along or seeing you run across my timeline. And I actually had a running doc. I'm, I swear to God, this is true. I have a running doc. The last time it was updated was June 4th, but some of your captions were like, damn, like he thinks of this. We do this for a living. And yeah. you're like, this dude is, has like some crazy good captions, especially cause he's recording off his phone and then doing it immediately and being the first one to do it. So like I have, the sauce is spicy. Please let it cool down before consuming saved. I have all types of different like things or tweets that you've done saved because it's like, all right, this is, I didn't think about this. Like this is genius. So for me, at least we use it as inspiration. Even when I was at the Kings or elsewhere, like yeah. we would be like, let's go on a worldwide wilds profile, see what he's doing and how can we build off that? Because quite frankly, and you know, people might be like, Oh my God, you you're just doing what somebody else is doing. But quite frankly, on Twitter, everyone is building upon each other's content, right? right? Like it, it's not just replicating, but you, you try to one up each other. And that's the same for NBA teams, I would say too. Um, so we, I have a list of, I guess, inspirational NBA tweeters that we use. And that was one of them on there. Awesome. Um, I would say your corny captions got me. They just captured oh, my heart. You, You're welcome. <laughs> they, they captured my heart, Rob. Yeah, they they do get corny. I mean, I'm not going to sit they're here and say They're not corny. Uh, they're totally not corny. They're so good. Well, sometimes, yeah, sometimes the, the corner they are, the more honest they are, because I'm just like really excited. Uh, sometimes that doesn't translate through Twitter properly, especially if you see it like eight hours later. It's not as, when you type in all caps or something, like it's not as uh, impactful as when you first saw it. And then it comes off as corny for sure. Um, but, you know, to your point, um, before we're all we're, we see everything that's being tweeted you know when i see my videos elsewhere people are always asking like does that make you mad and you see your exact captions pop up on other other networks i'm like at this point no because you know i won all these videos i don't own the vi rights to those videos i'm like bootlegging the nba what i'm doing is technically illegal they're just cool about it and number two those captions, I, I probably saw something that motivated me to think of that. So we're all building off of each other uh, as much as the internet wants to scream plagiarism as much as they can, just to misery loves company. Um, I'm totally with you on all that. Um, I have a, <laughs> I have a bone, uh -oh. to, bone to pick with you. So <laughs> two things, uh -oh. two things. <laughs> Stop. Yes. <laughs> um, so it's my name is Amara, but it's like Amari's Todd Amara, so you can just call me Amari. Secondly, 
Okay, so Al Farouk Amino is- I'm from New York. First of all, we say, we stretch the A's. We say Mario Kart here. We say LaGuardia. Like, I, when I'm- I'm down with I'm it. It's fine. Amera, it's fine. I'm sounding like Listen, Italian. Listen, it's right? totally I'm, fine. My, my second- Are you like Tyrod Taylor? Tyrod Taylor? Is that you? <laughs> yes. Okay. My second. So, do you know in the NBA Africa game, um, <laughs> when Al Farouk Aminu uh, shot that last shot, like, off the back, there was a mess. So, basically- Yes, it was um, hilarious. <laughs> So I was like, I was watching the game and I was like, okay, nobody's seen it on the internet. Like, okay, we're good that, you know, okay. The mentions are fine. And then you posted it and I was like, damn it, Rob. Like we couldn't have just let this go unnoticed. <laughs> now our mentions are ablaze. So that was my, At the, <laughs> you know, that's what happens when you launch a three off the backboard for the win. <laughs> Sorry, Alfredo, but we deserve that. I was so mad at I'm... you. <laughs> well, you know, I, I Sorry to keep piling on here, but I do get that question from time to time as do you ever get like confronted by players because I'm not, I'm not Omar and house of highlights. Like he does a lot of, you know, very positive reinforcement with, with the players. And that's why they like him so much. You know, I'm exposing people getting crossed and launching threes off the backboard. So, um, I I've been blocked by plenty of players for sure, but, uh, really? Oh Yeah. Oh my God, the list is endless. I, I can't, I, I want Lou Williams to get unblocked me because I love Lou Williams. I don't know what I did to Lou. Um, I, I think I made a joke about his two girlfriends. I was just going to say, a, I think it was the two girlfriends. Yeah, I think that might have gotten me blocked, but Evan Turner still has me blocked. Um, so maybe I'll put a good a word, word in. Yeah, I'll put a good word in. No, he still doesn't like me though. And my entire profile is me just dogging him. So it's not like I didn't deserve it. But um, he needs to stop shooting 18-foot jump shots, contested and fadeaways and missing them all. So maybe you can tell him that too. Yikes. But, um, this got aggressive real fast. <laughs> so this is what happens. But, um, yeah, so exposing moments like that uh, maybe is what makes worldwide. You don't know what you're going to get sometimes. It's kind of like a Monopoly chance card. It could be super positive or it can be like, oh, Farouk Aminu for three with a bunch of fire emojis. <laughs> Goes off the backboard and then I, I get a... I get a podcast call from from Miss Amari, and yes. uh, she calls me out. Wait, is it really Amari? No, it's Amara. Okay, well, can I call you Amari from now on? One hundred percent. Okay, cool. And it, this will be super easy for me to remember too. Great. It's been lovely having you on our podcast this fine <laughs> Saturday morning. <laughs> I feel like we could continue this forever. Uh, we'll look forward to Rob making the Timberwolves and the Trailblazers accounts mad online and every team's fan base. In addition, I'm to going to find out. This is my promise to you guys. Oh, I'm going God. to find a way to get you guys to get out of character and get to respond to me. I don't know how I'm going to do it, whether it's Joe shoving Joe Kim Noah down the Timberwolves' throat. Or I don't know who that is. Putting out Evan Turner. I'm going to come up with something. Evan Turner montage that's going to have to, oh, Trailblazers are going to have to bless. It's This is now, you have, you, have un, you have spawned the darkness within me. I'm not a Jedi, I'm a, I'm a Sith. Like, let's get I'm, this straight. The I'm darkness. Gonna real, I'm going to be real with you, Chief. Uh, I'm only going to respond to that once I have a job at the Action Network and I'm no longer employed by the NBA. <laughs> <laughs> Until that time, I'm Gucci. <laughs> well, I look forward to the day that you have to change at Timberwolves to at Timberbulls, and I will. I don't um, know what that is. I've never heard this before. <laughs> 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 <laughs>
<laughs> oh man, I, I feel like this is just open season. There's a tee and I can just hit as many balls off of it as I want, but I will spare you guys for now. Thanks, Rob. At least on the record. Thanks everyone for listening to today's episode with Worldwide Wob and Amara slash Amari Stoudemire. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was a fun episode. Whoa, uh, appreciate it. I mean, I thought your name was Amari. I was, I was with it. My new name is. You know, Amari. I'm very surprised. Here first. You heard it here. You heard it here it. first. Heard it. It's like it's nine thirty. Like, leave me alone. Nine thirty a.m. on a Saturday is when normal people function. Amari, okay. continue. Just kidding. I woke up at like ten thirty today, so I can talk. Well, anyway, um, yeah, usually it's my name that gets slaughtered, but I'm glad that it wasn't me. Shout out to you for sacrificing one for the team of two You're social on the sidelines. But yes, uh, thank anyway. you. <laughs> thank you guys for listening um, to this episode of Social on the Sidelines presented by Front Office Sports and brought to you by our friends at Team Infographics. Tell them where to find them. Team Infographs oh, on Twitter shit. or teaminfographics.com oh, yeah. <laughs> on their website. I don't know why you out here swearing at people <laughs> at early Say in the morning again. No, on Saturday. Start over, start over, start over. I thought I... No, no, no. We're keeping this. No, 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 I no, thought no, I no, said no. the wrong thing. Uh, Sorry. You didn't. If y'all aren't following them by now, we will find you. And we will talk to you later. I was going to go Liam Neeson, but that was aggressive. So. This is a mess. All right. It is what it is. It's Saturday. It's early morning. The Vikings are playing tomorrow against their rivals. I'm very excited about it. I don't know if you watch the NFL or care, but I'm just letting you know. Um, yeah. Talk to you guys later. Okay, bye. Okay, bye.